turn again to our text, a study in Judges chapter 8, add for this another week, I read to you only from verses 1 through 3 in the history of the work of our Lord in Israel under the judges. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, that is, unto Gideon, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiar? Abizar? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. Turn with me, we sing together again, standing with me please, number 704. My dear Redeemer and my Lord, I read my duty in thy word, but in thy life the law appears drawn out in living characters. Such was thy truth, and such thy zeal, such deference to thy Father's will, such love and meekness so divine. I would transcribe and make them mine. Cold mountains and the midnight air witness the fervor of thy prayer. The desert thy Temptations new, thy conflict and thy victory too. Be thou my pattern, make me bear 
More of thy gracious image here Than God the judge shall own my name Among the followers of the land They can be seated We come again now to this 8th chapter in this record of Israel's judges. And we've already set for you this scene on last week in our exposition of verse 1. We watched in utter amazement as those Ephraimites brought the heads of those Midianite princes and presented them to Gideon. And then, I said we watched in amazement because then they used that occasion to crush Israel's joy and blight Gideon's victory with the ugly specter of their vicious jealousy. They, along with all of Israel, owed the deepest gratitude, the deepest gratitude of their hearts to this man, on whose shoulders lay all the weight of a wholesale national deliverance. But in the words again of verse 1, they did chide him sharply. And in so doing, they turned this meeting from one of glorious celebration to one of divisive conflict and potential national humiliation. Far from the respect and honor due to this faithful victim. Far from the praise and gratitude owed to this hero liberator. And this unselfish conqueror. Far from that, these ingrates rush forward to assail and accuse to blame and to condemn, to criticize and stigmatize Gideon in the most vile and vulgar language that their evil hearts can muster. Spewing poison where praises were due. Strewing foul fumes where fragrant flowers were due and turning an occasion for happiness into hatred and brotherly love into beastly libel. Oh, what a wretched scene has this become. If ever a people have stood in a place worthy of public rebuke, 
It is this ground on which these Ephraimites stand now in verse 1. What will Gideon do? Well, I hinted at the answer on last week when in my closing comments I quoted Simeon when he said, We are apt to admire great military exploits and to account men honorable in proportion to the victories they have gained in battle. But there is a victory over ourselves that far more dignifies a man than the most expanded conquests over others. And it is here that Gideon's greatest honor shines. It's not in the flickering glow of the 300 flashing torches in the valley of Jezreel. It is not even in the flames of that holy altar raised up in chapter 6 verse 26 on the top of a rock in an ordered place. Oh no. But it is here, here where he subdues that wildest enemy of every man's soul, his own heart. Surely every impulse of nature within Gideon's breast was straining to fly out in righteous anger and crush this impertinent ingratitude. Surely his heart desired to thrash the backs of these self-indulgent hypocrites and stomp out their villainy forever. But what does our record tell us? Oh, to our complete amazement, Gideon says, verse 2, what have I done in comparison of you? <laughs> God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? <laughs> I can't believe he said that. Never have words been spoken by a mere mortal with more poise and prowess. Never has a violent wave of villainy and evil been crashed on the rocks of stalwart wisdom more than this display here in Gideon's words in verse 2 and 3. In a single night, he had crushed a national enemy. But here, in a single moment, he has doused the fires of a raging hell and quelled the convulsions of a cataclysmic tsunami in a moment of time. Oh, blessed God, 
What a sudden display of divine wisdom and human strength working in holy concert is here displayed in these words. Oh, he rescued a people of God from a sure destruction had Ephraim had had their way. Surely the Holy Spirit has clasped the lid tight shut on the holy, whole, ugly affair when he says in the end of verse 3, then their anger was abated when he had said that. <laughs> well then, for our edification and profound instruction, what exactly was that? That Gideon said, well, it was no rebuke, though rebuke might have been in order. It was not a reminder of the facts. Those facts might well have been brought. It's not even a humble testimony of Gideon's innocence which honesty might well have brought forward and entertained his innocence. No. No, the answer of Gideon is a classic example of what 1 Corinthians 13, 4 calls charity that vaunteth not itself, that seeketh not her own. But rather it was the welfare of the nation that is singularly in his eye. Someone has well said of this, that Gideon here applies a law that was not yet even written. In Philippians 2 and verse 3, Let nothing be done, let nothing be done through strife and vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And Gideon surely did that. Though the words were not yet penned, yet by the work of God in his servant's heart, Gideon already knew the wisdom of Proverbs 18 and verse 19. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Surely Gideon, somehow by the Spirit of God, realized that. These Ephraimites have shown what Matthew Henry called, and I love his description of it, he called it a very indecent liberty of speech and a vile disrespect. But Gideon won much honor by his command over his own passions as, by he, as he did by his victory over Midian. Surely Gideon knew the wisdom of Proverbs 15 and verse 1 that says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, 
but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of a wise useth knowledge aright, and the mouth of fools pours out foolishness. A soft answer again. A soft answer right here will turn away wrath. And so then I ask again, what was that? Verse 3 says, And then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. What was that which Gideon said? Gideon did not lie. He did not lie to quell the fires of these zealots. But he did find in them matters worthy of praise. He says, what have I done in comparison of you? All we did was stand weaponless and blew trumpets and broke pitchers and held up torches. That's all we did. You, however, you have gone to the battle, fallen on the, the enemy and taken their very heads off. Oh, he says, the gleanings of the grapes of Ephraim and that is, he's saying in that phrase, the taking of those princes in open warfare is better, better than the vintage of Abiezer. Better, I said. It's better than the whole harvest of Gideon's family. What you've done, what you've done, what have I done in comparison to what you've done? <laughs> to you, says Gideon, was reserved the glory of finishing the conquest. All of this, of course, which is true. And all of this, of course, is what they want to hear. Said Gideon, said Simeon rather, Simeon said of Gideon, he did not so much as glance at anything that might either betray irritation in his own mind or strengthen it in theirs. <laughs> Want to hear that again? Simeon said, Gideon did not so much as glance at anything that might either betray irritation in his own mind or strengthen it in theirs. Rather, he focused on what they had done well. Oh, this is a hard business for us, is it not? This is a hard business. For us. <laughs> Yet the battle is the Lord's. And the victory is the Lord's. And ours is just to dissolve into the tapestry of God's great purposes. 
and disappear into the fabric of his kingdom welfare and promote the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 and 3. That text tells us we're to walk with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. The Hebrew words in this text speak volumes to us. There is that, in that last phrase of verse 3, it says there, anger. It's a Hebrew word that refers to a wild wind. Boy, a wild wind's a dangerous thing, is it not? A wild wind. Those of you that live in the country, you know, those winds come. I'd rather see torrents of rain than that wind. Things are going to fall. Things are going to be destroyed. This word anger in the Hebrew is a word for a wild wind. But then the word, there were abated. Their, their anger was abated. The word in the Hebrew means to relax. To be made calm. <laughs> so what the text tells us is that all of their wild wind was just calmed down. When he said that. Whoa. If only we could exercise the discipline. Of a soft answer. Oh. The wise man in the Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32 said. He that is slow to anger is better. 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 Than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit. Is better than he. That takes a city. Gideon said. That which brought peace. And reconciliation. Oh how blessed. Are all words that do that. How blessed are all words that do that. Brought peace and reconciliation. When he said that. As many great lessons as there are to our hearts. From this wonderful example of Gideon. And may God help me by His grace to apply them to my heart. But this morning, please allow me just a brief excursion down the road of biblical typology. Throughout these studies, as you know, I've labored to extract only those things which are most pertinent in the context itself. And I have avoided preaching much along the lines of typology, which I may confess to you 
Most of the commentators that I find, men have gleaned great insights in the typology of these scriptures. And I have for the best part avoided them. Simply because they are ubiquitous. But here today, in this text, in this text, I cannot avoid the application of Gideon's typological standing in the likeness of our Christ. Gideon here is surely a glorious type of Christ. The last line in verse 3 again I read in your hearing. Then their anger was abated toward him. The wild wind was calmed when he had said that. Oh, <laughs> they had come here with none of the respect that was due. They had come with none of the homage that was owed. They had come with nothing but hostility, abuse, and ill will in their hearts until he said that. Whoa, that changed everything. Oh, can we not see here the mirror image of our Christ in the view here presented of Gideon? Surely we come to Christ. We come to Christ. First, we come with nothing but rebel hearts. Full of envies like them. Angry like them. Full of malice like them. We come only to taunt and to condemn and to bring war until he speaks. And that changes everything. <laughs> oh, I came. I came like that vile, cursing mob. I came to Christ. If I may borrow the words of Matthew 27, verse 44, I came like that thief on the cross, casting the same in his teeth until I heard him speak. Luke 23, 34, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and that changed everything. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he said that. But it changed everything. Oh, my sins, my sins were black. My heart was scarlet with stain. 
My bitterness was foul as leprosy until I heard him say, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, Come now, oh, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Hallelujah. I can't believe he said that. But it changed everything. It took all the wild wind out of my rebellion. Oh, when the earth should have opened up and swallowed me for my sins. When hell should have gorged its bowels on my naked soul, number 1632. Oh, when fire should have come down out of heaven and left up my soul in the eternal flames. He said, though your sins are scarlet, I'll wash them white as snow. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he said that. Oh, my brethren, my dear brethren, like these Ephraimites, like these Ephraimites in chapter 8 of, of Judges, like these Ephraimites, I expected nothing from him but rivalry, distrust, fracture, and separation. I expected nothing but trouble. I expected nothing but disdain until I heard him say, as he said in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 7, and when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the hosts and the mighty ones and all of those they gathered together. Verse chapter 9, I'm sorry. Second Samuel chapter 9 and verse 7. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness. For Jonathan thy father's sake, I will restore thee the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table. Hallelujah. Second time down at verse 10, he said, Son shall eat master's feet, but, but Mephibosheth thy master's son shall eat bread at my table. Verse 11, he shall eat at my table. Oh, verse 13, Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table. Oh, I never expected anything from him but judgment and war. But then he spoke and he said, he's going to come. I'm going to feed him. He's going to eat at my table. I never expected him to say that. But he did. But he did. Well, I can't believe he said that, Brother Jaws, I can't believe he said that. Oh, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, I had, like these Ephraimites, I had no hope or expectation of any companionship with this Christ, as they had no expectation of it from Gideon. Oh, I came. I had no expectation of companion, companionship from this Christ until he spoke.
Oh, and when he spoke, he said in John 17 and verse 19, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory which thou gavest me, I've given to them that they may be one ever, even as we are one. Oh, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe with my rebel heart. I can't believe he said that. Oh, Brother Jacob, I can't believe he said that. Oh, that. I never... I never expected in my rebellious state anything but trouble at his hands, even as these Ephraimites I'm sure expected. I never expected nothing but trouble at his hands until I heard him speak. John 14 and verse 16, he said, I pray the Father that he shall give you another comforter he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Oh, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he said that. Oh, he said that. Oh, that morning, I remember it so clearly. When the preacher brought the law of God down in the gospel, on that good gospel morning in my life, and I was caught in the very act, as it were, seemed I was caught in the very act like that woman. My accusers cast me down at his holy feet and cried out, Bring the stones and kill him! And that's exactly what I expected. But then he spoke. John chapter 8 and verse 10. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst, and he spoke. He lifted up himself and saw none but the woman. He said, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and say no more. Oh, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he said that. 
That's what he said. Oh, <laughs> being sin sick of the palsy with every fallen corruption, I could have never expected any help or hope from such a liberator like our ever-blessed Gideon. I could have never expected any hope until I heard him say in Matthew 9 and verse 2, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins are forgiven me. I can't believe he said that. Well, I can't believe he said that. Oh, like these Ephraimites, mine was an age-old quarrel. <laughs> oh, yeah, born with it. I was born with it. I was born into the family that was carried. Mine was an age-old quarrel. And it was festering. It was a festering feud of long standing in my heart and I could expect nothing between me and him but war until he spoke. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19 For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell and having made peace having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, you, you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Hallelujah. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he said that. <laughs> oh, that took all the wind out of my quarrel when he said that. Oh, can I tell you this morning, my heart was parched. My throat was parched with cursings and slanders thrown out, out at his sinless name, just like these Ephraimites did to Gideon. My throat was parched with cursings and slanders thrown out against his sinless name until I heard him say in John chapter 4 and verse 13, Oh, for your parched throat, Jesus said. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life. Hallelujah. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he said that. Oh, he said that. Could I just say once more? <laughs> Could I just tell you once more? Even after 
he had declared peace between us and washed away all my guilt and drew me in cords of love to the table of his communion. Oh, even all after all of that grace and all of that privilege, I've sinned. Brother Jacob referred to it in his prayer this morning. Even after all of that, I sin. I've sinned and I've gone time and time and time again into a far country. And in that far country, I've wasted all my blessings. Even after I've been sitting at the Father's table. Even after I've heard all those blessings that took the wind out of my anger. I've sinned. Oh, surely. Surely that'll be the end of it all. Surely that will be the end of it. But wait. I hear him speak again. Luke chapter 15 and verse 22. The father said to his servants, Whoa, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. (laughs) Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us, us, let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Oh, I can't believe his father said that. I can't believe he said that. Oh, thank God for this heavenly Gideon, of whom this Old Testament Gideon was but a marred shadow. But the text tells us, the text tells us that their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. Oh, hallelujah. I can't believe you said that. I could go on this morning for hours and I'd love to. Oh, I could have gone on forever telling you 10,000 things he said like what Gideon said to to effect a reconciliation. Hallelujah. I can't believe he said that. Can I just tell you on a personal note, it's in my notes. I'm not wondering. I have been in a place in recent days of great darkness and a great valley. 
I shared with Luke on yesterday that I opened my Bible the other day with no particular location in mind and opened my Bible and my eyes fell upon Psalm 37. 17, the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs they shall consume. In the smoke shall they consume away the wicked, borrow and pay it not again. But the righteous showeth mercy and giveth, for such as he be as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Oh, and I just lifted my head and said to my own heart, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he said that. But he did. What has he said to you? What has he said to you? Have you been near enough to him that you can hear? Oh, you won't believe. You won't believe what he'll say. When you come with repentance, he'll take the wind out of all of your anger. I can't believe he said that. Turn with me, if you will, your hymn book. Stand with me again, and let's sing together number 702. In duties and in sufferings too, Thy path, my Lord, I praised. As Thou hast done, so would I do. Depending on Thy grace, Inflamed with zeal, t'was thy delight To do thy Father's will Oh, may that zeal my soul excite Thy precepts to fulfill Unsolid meekness Truth and love Through all thy conduct shine 
may my whole deportment prove a copy, Lord.